Our first Bible reading is from 1 Samuel chapter 27, verses 1 to 12, and it's on page 236 in these blue Bibles. Um, King Saul is still trying to kill God's chosen future king, David, instead of obeying God and driving the pagan Philistines out of the land. Last week, um, Saul promised once again that he would stop trying to harm David, but he has already gone back on that promise before. So 1 Samuel 27, starting at verse 1. But David thought to himself, One of these days I will be destroyed by the hand of Saul. The best thing I can do is to escape to the land of the Philistines. Then Saul will give up searching for me anywhere in Israel, and I will slip out of his hand. So David and the 600 men with him left and went over to Achish, son of Maok, king of Gath. David and his men settled in Gath with Achish. Each man had his family with him, and David had his two wives, Ahinoam of Jezreel and Abigail of Carmel, the widow of Nabal. When Saul was told that David had fled to Gath, he no longer searched for him. Then David said to Achish, If I have found favour in your eyes, let a place be assigned to me in one of the country towns, that I may live there. Why should your servant live in the royal city with you? So on that day Achish gave him Ziklag, and it has belonged to the kings of Judah ever since. David lived in Philistine territory a year and four months. Now David and his men went up and raided the Geshurites, the Gerzites, and the Amalekites. From ancient times, these people had lived in the land extending to Shur and Egypt. Whenever David attacked an area, he did not leave a man or woman alive, but took sheep and cattle, donkeys and camels, and clothes. Then he returned to Achish. When Achish asked, where did you go raiding today? David would say, against the Negev of Judah, or against the Negev of Jeremiah, or against the Negev of the Kenites. He did not leave a man or woman alive to be brought to Gath, for he thought they might inform on us and say, this is what David did. And such was his practice as long as he lived in Philistine territory. Achish trusted David and said to himself, He has become so obnoxious to his people, the Israelites, that he will be my servant for life. Morning, church. Uh, Today we'll be reading 2 Corinthians chapter 10, the whole chapter, on page 940 of your Blue Church Bibles. By the humility and gentleness of Christ, I appeal to you, I, Paul, who am timid when face to face with you, but bold toward you when away, I beg you that when I come, I may not have to be bold, I may not have to be as bold as I expect to be towards some people who think that we live by the standards of this world. For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. 
We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. And we will be ready to punish every act of disobedience once your obedience is complete. You are judging by appearances. If anyone is confident that they belong to Christ, they should consider again that we belong to Christ just as much as they do. So even if I boast somewhat freely about the authority the Lord gave us for building up you, for building you up rather than tearing you down, I will not be ashamed of it. I do not want to seem to be trying to frighten you with my letters. For some say, his letters are weighty and forceful, but in person he is unimpressive and his speaking amounts to nothing. Such, peop- such people should realize that what we are in our letters when we are absent, we will be in our actions when we are present. We do not dare to classify or compare ourselves with some who commend themselves. When they measure themselves by themselves and compare themselves with themselves, they are not wise. We, however, will not boast beyond our proper limits, but will confine our boasting to the sphere of service God himself has assigned to us, a sphere that also includes you. We are not going too far in our boasting, as would be the case if we had not come to you. For we did get as far as you with the gospel of Christ. Neither neither do we beyond our limits by boasting of work done by others. Our hope is that, as your faith continues to grow, our sphere of activity among you will greatly expand, so that we can preach the gospel in the regions beyond you. For we do not want to boast about about work already done in someone else's territory. But let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord, for it is not the one who commends himself who is approved, but the one whom the Lord commends. Thank you, uh, Rebecca and Joseph, for reading. Uh, Please keep that second reading open there, page 940. We'll be looking at 2 Corinthians chapter 10. I'm James, by the way. If we uh, haven't met, I have the privilege of uh, bringing God's word to you today, helping us study it together. And you'll find an outline uh, inside the sheet there. Let's pray and ask God's help. Our Father in heaven, you are the God of all wisdom. Uh, Please open your word to our hearts this morning. Help us to sit humbly under your word that we may bring all our thinking and all our desires captive to your lordship. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. You hear the knock on the door, you open the door and you realise as the people speak that you are speaking to the watchtower people or perhaps the church of the Latter-day Saints and do you know that at that moment you have entered war? You have entered a spiritual war zone. Because sadly, uh, those two groups proclaim a Jesus who is not God the Son, who is a created being. And you know, I hope, that central to the gospel is that God the Son became a human being so he could win our salvation on that cross and offer an eternal sacrifice for sin. How do you respond in warfare? 
Or perhaps you're at a party, you meet someone you haven't known before, uh, they tell you they're a churchgoer. Uh, you inquire, so you're, uh, you're sure of heaven, you're sure that's where you're going? They say, well, I hope so. I hope so, I hope my works will be sufficient. You have just entered a spiritual war zone. Scriptures of crystal clear, we're saved through trust in Christ alone. Our works, no matter how good they are, don't contribute to salvation. How are you going to respond? Two examples of spiritual warfare, whether we realize it or not, whether we like it or not, friends, if you're a believer in Jesus, you're at war. You're part of a war. You're a soldier in a war. Because as long as this world exists, the truth of the gospel will be under attack. Because Satan is the father of lies. And until he's put away, uh, he will be trying his darkness to lead us off track. He will wrap the truth, a little bit of truth perhaps. Sorry, he will wrap the lie. He will wrap the lie in truth. Uh, so that we might swallow it, but that is what he is about. It's one reason, actually, I look forward to heaven, that battle will actually cease. Another couple of examples, uh, we come across preachers who promise too much. Preachers say to us, if you will give yourself totally, wholly to God, then God promises you perfect health, wealth, success in this world. But as I read the scripture, I see God warning us that if we follow Jesus, persecutions will follow and sufferings will follow for Jesus' name. And we live in a fallen human race that is subject to the judgment of God. And part of that is sickness and part of it is death. Other teachers sadly uh, proclaim that what God's word said is sin is not. I wonder if you heard this week about the Anglican Synod in Perth. Uh, Part of their guideline for their pastoral workers in their churches read, you are to be chaste and not engage in sex outside marriage and not engage in disgraceful conduct of a sexual nature. But that synod actually voted to remove a phrase from that sentence, the phrase about not engaging in sex outside of marriage. What else does that mean? But they now believe it's okay for the pastoral workers in their church to be having sex outside marriage. Whereas again, is not God's word crystal clear that God gave us this good gift of sex to be enjoyed between husband and wife and that God's good purpose is not to be used outside marriage. The gospel of God, the word of God, is constantly under attack. Uh, in this world and we are soldiers in this fight by the way i should clarify 
I'm not talking about the person who may even be among us today. I hope you are. You may be struggling with one of the things I just talked about, one of those issues. You may disagree on this point, but what you're doing is struggling with it under the word of God. And we say that's great. We want to help you explore what the word of God says on these issues. You are welcome. What I am talking about in terms of this battle is something completely different. People who really aren't wanting to sit under the word of God's authority. For example, on the Trinity, say, someone who's convinced that Jesus is not God the Son, but who will come in, who will try to influence others away from the truth of God's word. That is where the spiritual battle is that I'm talking about. We're all in a battle for the truth, friends, whether we like it, whether we feel comfortable with it or not, which leads to two questions uh, that I want to address today. One, One, how do we protect ourselves in this battle? How do we discern who we should listen to and who we shouldn't? How do we pick the true from the false? And then secondly, how do we fight? If we find ourselves in one of those situations where the truth is under attack, how do we go about defending the truth? We've been working our way through 2 Corinthians and we come to these final chapters where this is exactly what the Apostle Paul is doing. False teachers had come to Corinth and he was very distressed because they were leading some of the congregation away from Christ. Have a look over just to the next chapter, chapter 11, verse 4. He says, For if someone comes to you and preaches a Jesus other than the Jesus we preached, or if you receive a different spirit from the spirit you received, or a different gospel from the one you accepted, you put up with it easily enough. Paul's response to this false gospel is a model for our response. So firstly, we are to imitate the humility and gentleness of Christ. Have a look at verses 1 and 2. By the humility and gentleness of Christ, I appeal to you, I, Paul, who am timid when face to face with you, but bold when away, I beg you that when I come, I may not have to be as bold as I expect to be towards some people who think that we live by the standards of this world. Here we see one thing that Paul was accused of, being two-faced. When he was with the Corinthians, he was timid and gentle and even subservient. But when he was away, then he was bold and courageous in his letters. And we know from Paul's letters, he could offer a good rebuke if he wanted to by letter. How does he respond to this accusation? Really an attack on his integrity. How does he respond to the fact that some of the Corinthians are being drawn away from the gospel by this? Well, he responds with the humility and the gentleness of Christ. What does he mean by that? Well, see, how did Jesus respond to our rebellion against his father? How did he respond? He could have come into this world in judgment and condemnation, couldn't he? That would have been completely fair. But he didn't. He left his father's glory He took the form of a human being. He suffered and he died for us so that we could be forgiven. He wooed us to himself. That is the humility and gentleness of Christ. 
And this is the model for Paul in encountering these false teachers. He could have come down on the Corinthians like a ton of bricks. Why are you listening to these guys? I am your apostle. Jesus appointed me as apostle to the Gentiles. I don't have anything to do with them. But he doesn't do that, does he? See what he says in verse 1? I appeal to you. I, Paul, I beg you, verse 2. He makes a personal appeal as a fellow believer. He treats them with great respect. He calls on them to take action against these interlopers. Uh, Verse 2, I beg you that when I come, I may not have to be as bold as I expect to be towards some people who think that we live by the standards of this world. Paul will be bold in person if he needs to be. Humility and weakness does not equal cowardice. Sorry, humility and gentleness does not equal weakness and cowardice. He will be bold if he needs to be, but he much rather the Corinthians themselves stand up for the truth against the false teaching. That is what he would much prefer. In humility and gentleness, he appeals to the Corinthians to stand up for the truth. How does this apply in our situation? Well, I think when we hear anybody, a fellow believer, saying things that we think aren't in line with the gospel, we need to be bold. We need to say something. We need to speak up, but humbly and gently. Check with them first. Make sure you've understood what they're saying. Is this is this what you're saying? Have I got it wrong? Listen, listen carefully, and always discuss the issue with the mindset that I might be wrong. I might actually have something to learn here. Tell me what you're saying so that I can compare it with Scripture. But if you're still convinced, having done all that, that they are saying things not in line with the truth of God's word, to to take that bold step and say, do you really think what you're saying there is in line with the word of God? Can we look at God's word together and check that out? That's a bold step, but a step we need to take if we really love the person and love the truth. Our aim, of course, is always to win the person over, not to put them down. Well, that's something about how to fight in this battle, our tactics. What about the other question? How do we protect ourselves and others from false teachers and their teaching? How do we protect ourselves from being led astray? Well, that's the second point. Evaluate others by God's standards, not the world's. One of the mistakes of the false teachers was to evaluate Paul by the world standards. As he says at the end of verse 2, some people who think that we live by the standards of the world, those are the false teachers, they were evaluating him as if he lived by the standards of the world. But that was wrong because he didn't. See verse 3, For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does, The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. 
We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take every thought captive to make it obedient to Christ. And we will be ready to punish every act of disobedience once your obedience is complete. You are judging by appearances. Even some of the Corinthians were being swayed so that they were judging the apostle purely on external things, by the world standards. How impressive was he as a speaker? What sort of a crowd could he draw? How did he compare with the great communicators of the Greek world in those days? Uh, Was he impressive physically? When he walked into a room, did he command the room? Uh, All that we know about Paul traditionally is that he wasn't particularly impressive physically. He'd lost most of his hair, apparently, and was a little man. But Paul says they are the totally wrong criteria to be judging a servant of Christ. Totally wrong. Because the true servant of Christ is not fighting with the world's weapons. They are usually not impressive people. They will only fight by God's weapons. What do you think are the weapons that he's talking about in this passage? I think he doesn't spell them out because he doesn't need to spell them out. He's spelt them out already in the, in the rest of the letter, particularly chapters 3 to 5. For example, flip back to chapter 4, verse 2. Chapter 4, verse 2. Flip back a couple of pages. Chapter 4, verse 2. He says, rather... We have renounced secret and shameful ways. We do not use deception, nor do we distort the word of God. On the contrary, by setting forth the truth plainly, we commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. Setting forth the truth about Jesus plainly. That, that they are the weapons of God. Truthful, clear statements about who Jesus is and what he's done. They are the weapons of God that the servant of Christ uses. And they are powerful. Paul says here they are like the mighty battering rams that the Romans used in a siege of a a mighty fortress. Have you seen films of back in Roman times and how they push these huge siege engines up to the wall of the fortress and they start bashing down? Uh, the wall of the fortress. That is the picture here. Except the fortress is not a physical one. It's the fortresses we build in our mind that, that make us independent from God. We say we rule this world without God's help. Uh, we can do anything. We can put a man on the moon. We can cure diseases. We can invent the mobile phone and the internet. We don't need God. We may give God lip service, but really... We are in control of this world. That's the pretensions that he's talking about. But then along comes the battering ram of the gospel. And it says, no, you are not king. God says, I have raised my king from the dead. He rules, you don't rule. He will judge, you don't judge. And in fact, he had to die so you could be forgiven your pretension your arrogance in thinking that you ruled the world. And so when we accept that gospel, our fortress comes crumbling down, our arrogance comes crumbling down, we bow the knee. 
from now on we want to think God's thoughts after him. We take every thought captive in obedience to Christ because we recognise that he is the source of all true wisdom. That is the mark of the true servant of Christ. Their only weapons are the words of God said plainly and truthfully. They may not be impressive by worldly standards. In fact, usually they are not. They are usually very ordinary people, but they speak a powerful gospel as truthfully and as clearly as they can. So, friends, we must be very careful about who we allow to influence us, who we listen to, who we follow and imitate, because there are very impressive people out there. But the question is, are they speaking the truth of the gospel clearly and truthfully? That is the question that we have to ask. And to make that evaluation, we need to know the word ourselves, don't we? How can we evaluate if we don't know the truth of the gospel? That's another reason we need to give ourselves to the study of God's word. But what if we make that evaluation and we still come to the conclusion that what someone is saying is not in line with the gospel? Well, that brings us to point three. There's a time to be bold. There's a time to exert the authority of God's word. Humility and gentleness do not mean weakness and cowardice. Paul will exert his God-given authority if need be. Have a look at the second half of verse 7 and verse 8. He says, if anyone is confident that they belong to Christ, they should consider again that we belong to Christ as much as they do. So even if I boast somewhat freely about the authority the Lord gave us for building you up rather than tearing you down, I will not be ashamed of it. The false teachers said, we belong to Christ. They claim directly the authority of Christ. Paul says here, two can play that game. I too belong to Christ. In fact, I was commissioned by the risen Christ himself personally on the Damascus road to take his word to the Gentiles, to the non-Jewish peoples. Yes, I belong to Christ as well, to put it mildly. They accuse him of boasting a lot about the authority that the Lord Jesus has given him. But he doesn't back away from that. Jesus did give him authority on the Damascus road to be the apostle to the nations. But notice, only authority to build up, not to tear down. That is the nature of all Christian leadership. Only given authority to benefit those under their care, never given authority to harm those under their care. So if need be, Paul will use his God-given authority to protect his beloved Corinthians from this false teaching. See verses 9 to 11. I do not want to seem to be trying to frighten you with my letters, for some say his letters are weighty and forceful, but in person he is unimpressive and his speaking amounts to nothing. Such people should realise that what we are in our letters when we are absent, we will be in our actions when we are present. 
Here again, this accusation of the false teachers. He's two-faced. He's, he's uh, nice and gentle when he's with you, but boy, those letters are, uh, uh, create a punch. Uh, Paul's response is surprising. He's basically saying, I'm not two-faced. If, if you false teachers don't repent, you will see that I can be just as terrifying in present when I'm present. I'm not just terrifying in my letters. I can be terrifying in person as well. I will bring the full force of the authority Jesus has given me against you. So watch out. There is a time to be bold. What does this mean in our situation? Well, firstly, I think it means that we need to make sure we are bringing our lives under the authority of the word of God. Uh, What does God's word say about the Trinity? Are we living by that? What does God's word say about the way of salvation? Is our trust in Jesus alone and not our works? What does God's word say about the promises God has made for us now? and what he hasn't promised for us now, and what remains for the future. What does God's word say is sinful for his people and what isn't? Are we living by that? That's the first question we have to ask. And only when we've done that can we say to someone else, are you living by God's word? Is what you're saying in line with God's word. Now, leaders, of course, have a special responsibility to do that because they have a responsibility for the care of the people under them. But it's also a responsibility of every one of us as God's people to be fighting for the truth in this battle. And then fourthly, true leaders will only boast in Jesus, not in themselves. Have a look at verse 12. We do not dare to classify or compare ourselves with some who commend themselves. When they measure themselves by themselves or compare themselves with themselves, they are not wise. We, however, will not boast beyond proper limits, but will confine our boasting to the sphere of service God himself has assigned to us, a sphere that also includes you. We are not not going too far in our boasting, as would be the case if we had not come to you. For we did get as far as you with the gospel of Christ. See, the false teachers were boasting in themselves. They compared themselves with themselves. They measured themselves by themselves. Uh, To them, the opinion of others mattered. To them, where they were on the spiritual pecking order mattered. But Paul is completely different and his fellow workers. They don't think that way. They confine their sphere of boasting to the sphere of service that God has assigned to them. Now, what does he mean by that sphere of service? Well, it's again, it's going to his commission on the Damascus Road. I send you to the Gentile world. That was the sphere of service he was talking about. And Corinth was certainly within that sphere. It was a Gentile city. So in boasting about God's work among the Corinthians, Paul was not going too far. He was simply being faithful to Jesus. 
And then he accuses the false teachers of boasting in work done by someone else. Verse 15, neither do we go beyond our limits by boasting of work done by others. Our hope is that as your faith continues to grow, our sphere of activity among you will greatly expand so that we can preach the gospel in the regions beyond you. For we do not want to boast about work already done in someone else's territory. The false teachers have come in. They've tried to take over Paul's flock. They claim credit for what he has done or what God has done through him. But Paul's attitude is completely different. He wants to build up the Corinthian work. He wants to build up their faith, enlarge it. Why? So he can go further on, further west, out to Spain, he says uh, in the Romans. We're sending Miriam to Spain. Well, that's where Paul was headed as well because he wanted to, to reach fresh territory, people who'd never heard about the gospel. That's why he wants to enlarge the work in Corinth, not for his own pride. He states the principle in 17 and 18, but let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. A quote from Jeremiah 9, for it is not the one who commends himself who is approved, but the one whom the Lord commends. Here's another mark, friends, of the true servant of Christ. They don't talk themselves up. They know they're nothing special. They know they are sinful, fragile, vulnerable human being like everyone else. They do not talk themselves up. They know that they've been saved by grace alone, sustained by God's power alone. They owe everything to him. They do not talk themselves up. But they do talk Jesus up because he is something special. They do talk the gospel up because it is something special and powerful. And they do talk up God's grace because it is amazingly wonderful. And they know that the only evaluation that counts is God's, not others, not their own even. An audience of one. Well, friends, what have we seen about the reality of living in this spiritual battle that we are all in, whether we like it or not, whether we're comfortable or not? Well, Satan is the father of lies and he will be trying his best to lead us astray and to lead others astray around us in all sorts of ways. How do we fight? With the humility and gentleness of Christ. And we are careful who we allow to influence us. We do not evaluate leaders by the world standards, how they are press, how impressive they are in that way. We evaluate them by God's standards. Are they speaking the gospel truthfully and simply and plainly? Do they boast only in Jesus or in themselves as well? And having said all that, there is a time to be bold, a time to speak up humbly and gently, but nonetheless to speak up. Friend, is what you're saying actually in line with God's word? Can we look at the scriptures together? That is the loving thing to do. Let's pray together. Please pray with me. Father, we thank you that you have made yourself crystal clear in the scriptures on every important matter of salvation and godly living. 
Father, help us to continue to give ourselves to the study of your word carefully. Help us to live ourselves under the authority of your word, particularly where we find that difficult, Father. Give us wisdom in who we allow to influence us. Help us to evaluate Christian leaders, Father, not by the world standards but by your standards. And Father, in those situations, maybe it is a knock on the door or a conversation at a party or after church where we see that your truth is being denied. Father, help us in love and in gentleness and humility to be bold, to seek to correct those who we see straying from your truth for their sake and for, good of, for the good of your people. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.